You are listening to the Edu Salon podcast, a space for connection and conversation around education. Each episode, Dr. Deborah Nedelitsky talks with a global education thought leader to provide insights into where education is now and where it might move next. Hello, and welcome to the Edgy Salon podcast, recorded on the lands of the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation, to whose elders, past, present and emerging, I pay my respects. My name is Deborah Netalitsky, and today I'm delighted to welcome Tracy Ezard. Tracy is a speaker, author, educator, mentor and consultant with a background in teaching and educational leadership in the Victorian state school system, most recently as an assistant principal in a primary school. For 15 years, she's run leadership, cultural and strategic programs in Australia and New Zealand, often working closely with principals and assistant principals, as well as with education federations in the UK. She's author of three books, Glue, The Stuff That Binds Us Together to Do Extraordinary Work, The Buzz, Creating a Thriving Collaborative Staff Learning Culture, and Ferocious Warmth, School Leaders Who Inspire and Transform. She's also board chair of the Corner Store Network, which aims to eradicate food poverty issues in Australia and Timor-Leste. Welcome, Tracy. Thanks, Deborah. I am so excited and chuffed to be here on uh, this. I'm so glad you you launched this podcast this year because I think you're just the perfect person to do this sort of thing. Well, thank you. Let's start this conversation. And my first question is kind of a broad one, but quite a lot of the things that come out in the work of yours that I've read is this idea of transformation. Mm. And even in that, the title of the Ferocious Warmth book that, you know, leaders who inspire and transform, transformation is a pretty big ask. Mm. Uh, And I'm wondering... (laughs) why that's a word that you've chosen and why you think, like, what is transformation in education? Why is it something we might need in schools and in education spaces, do you think? The conversations we have over and over, over the years, always seem to be about how do we make an education system that really responds to the changing context of the world and how the world is changing so much faster. And we've just seen over the last two years it blowing up, really, in terms of shifts And so for me, transformation is any time we step into a space of definitively looking to shift the status quo. And I think there are a lot of things around our education system that work really well and they they give great opportunity for students to learn. I think there's a whole lot of stuff that we really need to be looking at, especially around the equity conversation and also the the ability for us to really create an environment of education that just isn't all about measure and and that really narrow version of measure. So I think transformation comes from where are we at now and where do we want to evolve to? You know, there's that great saying of it doesn't have to be a revolution, it can be evolution. And I think that what we need to look at is are we okay with the status quo? And I've never found a school that says, yeah, we're absolutely okay with the status quo or an education system. And so therefore, how are we being really very focused on changing it? And what do we want to change it to? What's our vision? And how do we collectively have that conversation as a community, as a society, as a whole whole nation? But certainly, how do we start off by just having that in our schools and with our communities around what we actually want for our students and what do our students want? So really asking them and getting that proper agency happening around, around that. So lots there about really big picture stuff like equity, student Mm. agency, Mm. responding to a changing world, but being okay with that being maybe evolution, incremental rather than uh, revolutionary. Yeah. And when I look at, you know, the buzz, glue, the ferocious warmth books, the things that you write and speak about, a lot of what you're talking about is really collaboration, that maybe the way that we get there is Mm. through creating high-performing teams that exist in environments of learning, trust and innovation. 
And I was really interested to see your collaboration continuum, which has been around for some time, but it outlines this continuum from corrosion and coexistence at one end to co-creation and collective capacity at another, the sort of, Mm. I suppose, that apex that we might all be aiming for in a school culture. Mm. And I wondered if you and I were to walk into a school, like I know in your Ferocious Warmth book, you say you can spot a Ferocious Warmth leader at 100 paces, but collective capacity or even a co-creation kind of environment, if we were to walk through a school, Mm. what might we see in here that would show us that that's a place where that kind of a culture exists or that Mm. kind of capacity is collective and is happening? Mm. Yeah, it's really really all the work that I do around the buzz work. So, you know, I feel that buzz and and you can can hear it. So there's all the senses get assaulted, I think, in a good way when you walk into that, that deep transformational learning culture. Because I think that the collective capacity being at the very top level of the collaboration continuum is really what we're all about in education is how do we make sure that we're all lifting our capacity together and I'm just invested in your learning and your growth as I'm invested in my own learning and growth and so you hear it in the language I think you hear it in the language of there's a there's a language of empathy and kindness but there's also courage to say what do we need to do differently and what do I need to do to really build my capacity to give the very best education that I can. But I know that I've got the clear support of the people around me. So I think that you 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 absolutely see it in the quality of the conversation in professional learning committees and groups and um, teams. But you also see it in the corridor. You see it in the yard interactions with students because there's a curiosity about it. There's, there's not that this is the way we do it and this is the way we've always done it. And... It's, it's that good conversation about what is it that's really critical to who we are and how we work and where are our areas of growth that we need to dive into. So a lot of the work that I do with, with teams and with, with educators or anyone that works in a school is how do I understand myself really well so that I can be open to learning? And so, you know, I'd, I'm sure you find this too, Deb, that when there's open to learning that goes on in a group together, there's a lean in. There's this. There's this. I want to know more about what you think. I want to know more. I want you to test and and give me provocations to make me test my model of the world, which I call our ignorant truth. You know that thing that says this is the way I see the world. But geez, I'm open to what the research is saying, what the evidence is saying, what innovators are doing, and and so there is that buzz. I put it under three headings when I work with people. It's like a Venn diagram. The first one's what's the collective growth mindset we've got, what's the compelling environment we create together, and then what's the authentic dialogue we have. So I call it the mind, the moment, and the mouth. What's happening in our minds? What's coming out of our mouths? And what sort of moments do we create together to ensure that that culture is one of growth and transformation? And you've encapsulated that in this idea of the buzz, that what do you hear? Because I think as someone who works in that space in schools of professional learning and building staff capacity and building staff culture and that professional learning culture of continuous improvement, that's certainly something as a school leader, you often get asked for metrics. How do you know that you're doing the right thing? And people like numbers and they like assessment data and they like those kind of accountabilities. But what I'm often listening for is how are we talking? Absolutely. In, in what ways are we talking? And that's not just about the kindness and empathy piece, although that's important. It's also about the courage piece that you talked about as well. The, the courage and the you also talk a lot about an environment of trust yeah. that in order to have people who are willing to be open, be brave, be innovative uh, and challenge one another respectfully that you have to have that environment of trust in which Absolutely. that happens. 
Absolutely. And, the, and you know, the, the terminology and the research around psychological safety is critical here. We tend to use the word trust a lot in education, but the, 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 the research around psychological safety and creating this sense of first up belonging, inclusivity, I'm, I'm worthy simply because I'm a human, leads right up into then a safety in learning, a safety in contribution. And then the top one is that safety of challenge. And I think that's where transformation happens because we have so much great respect for each other that we can challenge each other's thinking and we can challenge our own. I always say, let's make sure we challenge our own thinking first. I love the work of Tim Clark, his four stages of psychological safety. And I include it in um, Ferocious Warmth because it's such a great model that goes from inclusion safety to learner safety to uh, contribution safety up to challenger safety and with schools that have been doing this professional learning culture for quite a long time I'm having really interesting conversations with them around how do we ensure that we don't just sit in a land of nice that you know we we know how to behave together we're we're really good professionals we we seek to learn from each other but actually are we really pushing the edges are we pushing the boundaries and that courage and and making sure our conversations are student-centred are critical. So I have a buzz diagnostic that's had over 10,000 educators go through it. And this buzz diagnostic just has some really interesting data that shows that we seriously are challenged around making sure we have strong connection with each other and that we are good at having pedagogical debate. It's a dip down for every ladder of the culture ladder that I have is that that is something that we're still working on. We're still crafting our skill at doing that. And the lower you are on the culture ladder, the harder it is because you're still trying to get even that culture of safety to have a voice and have contribution, let alone to be able to professionally and uh, with good grace and open to learning challenge our thinking about why we do stuff certain ways. And I'm thinking that sometimes people need a toolbox or some norms or some framework around how to do that. So if yeah. you were, uh, you must work with school leaders who enter into a culture where maybe they're either in the land of nice and there's no challenge or where there's kind of a bit of a negative toxicity yeah. where there's maybe not the professionalism. And sometimes that comes with that sort of fake harmony and people really undermining, or sometimes that comes with, you know, we're not doing it that way or that sense of tradition you talked about. This is how we've always done it. Where's the starting point for a school leader who's looking to change culture? I feel a bit sometimes like the metaphor is, you know, spinning the wheel on the Titanic. You know, yeah. you're, you're working hard and not going very <laughs> in, in, a, in much of a direction. Uh, where, where's a place to start if that's a challenge for a leader? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I call that the land of pain. You know, it's just painful for everyone, but often been created often because of the type of leadership that might have gone on prior. We know how much an impact educational leadership has on culture and therefore on outcomes. We know educational leadership has a huge impact on outcomes. So when we walk into that space, I I say that they're down the bottom of the culture ladder in either corrosion or complacency. I think the two things we need to pull from are courage and kindness. So first off, I think we've got to step into that courageous space of going, I know what it is that makes a difference in schools and makes the transformation. If you're in that leadership position, you've generally done a whole range of learning and looking at the research around what makes great schools. So you've got the stuff. And I think that's a great thing that our system across Australia, we have been so focused on building leadership development over the last decade that there are so many great leaders coming in. So to come in at that space where you might have less than useful behaviours going on, 
I think we have to have courage and we have to have kindness because people are in that space because of that environment that they're in. For some people, they've experienced trauma and they've experienced it at the hands of what I call a fearsome leader. So they're so cognitive, they're so in their head, they're so measurement. They don't care about the heart stuff. They don't, they, they, they don't care about how, where people are at. They don't care about the empathy piece. They don't see that as important. They see it, in fact, as the fluffy stuff. And yet what we know is that when we feel connected to each other, our brains function much better. The neuroscience is very clear that our prefrontal cortex works far better when there is that sense of connectedness and we've got the right neurotransmitters that are setting us up for learning. And we've got that good sense of a little bit of adrenaline that's pushing us like that. But when we're in fear, we close down. And I've unfortunately have worked over, you know, the 15 years with many people that have experienced leadership that has shut them down. And I just think we have to realise that that's why cultures can be created like that. And sometimes the courage is because leaders haven't had that courage to have the right conversations about what's acceptable and what's not. That's a nice segue actually into talking about your most recent book, which presents this concept of ferocious warmth as an approach to lead, leadership and to leading professional cultures of collaboration. And there you talk about the need to balance the head and the heart, results and relationships, realism and optimism, humility and persistence. And you argue that leaders need to be expansive, connected, courageous and authentic. So can you talk about that concept of ferocious warmth, what it is? You've, I think you've kind of almost led us there a little bit uh, and why it's an important lens through which to view leadership. Mm. I just think we've learnt so much over the years of looking at leadership and leadership, how we develop leaders to understand that the human side of leadership is so much more important than it was held for a long time. And in this day and age of increased mental health issues, you know, just our fragility around living in the world, now to think that um, not leading from a heart position which is the emotional intelligence it's the ability to create an environment where people feel safe and nurtured yet stretch which is the ferocious part that's the head part that says oh, we, we're, we're stretching and we have that high challenge high support as our cultural base needs us to understand people and first off to understand ourselves but it also needs us to have the cognitive, you know, what are we what are we aiming for? What are the frameworks? What are the what are the structures? One of the best questions we can always ask ourselves if we get caught up in a whole lot of confusion in our thinking is how does this impact on the students? You know, and we if we say that in a meeting, all of a sudden it cuts through all the rubbish that might be going on and gets us back to the core. And that for me is some of the things that help us get back into balance. So the whole idea of ferocious warmth is we have to be able to create an environment where we are helping people to achieve what we need to and want to achieve, but we also need to create an environment where people feel safe and nurtured and stretched to be able to do that. And to think that we can either do it just with just very cognitively and technically or simply by only nurturing relationships and not being have an eye on the plan, the outcome, the strategy, then I think we're kidding ourselves. And the biggest thing that I find is that we can get out of balance and we can have a default because we, we a lot of us will know, yeah, I, I tend to go more towards the people and the relationship side or I tend to go more to the, you know, the checklists and the, the research and, you know, what's the, what's the audit saying and what's the measurement. Uh, but I know that I have to just pull from the other side to get back into balance. My worry is that when we're so stressed, we get into extremities and I call them the fearsome leader or the enmeshed leader. So the fearsome leader, just people hide under desks 
to get away from them. The conversation basically stops if they're around the table because people are fearful of saying what they think or there's no opportunity. Or at the other end, the enmesh leader is so much into the drama, the gossip, the what's happening, trying to fix things, unhealthy, drama triangle type of thing, that we end up with the two extremes, you know, fearsome, inflicts trauma, but the enmeshed leader sort of creates drama. So how do we get out of those, understand ourselves really well and look after ourselves well enough to be in that in that centre? And then the four elements you mentioned before, which are ex- expansive, connected, authentic and courageous. They're the four elements, I call them. So they're the elemental pieces of ferocious warmth that help to keep us balanced. Uh, And there's a whole lot of subsets of those that just help us stay in the centre so that we can move like a dance, pulling from head and heart, depending on the context, which, as we know, in school leadership can change every five minutes. I'm imagining, I'm seeing some of the visuals from your book as you're talking and that, um, especially the infinity symbol that you put the ferocity on one side and the warmth on the other. And I suppose that that idea that we need to be able to move between, depending on context, depending on person, depending on what's needed at the time. And I'm thinking that, you know, partly in the early stages of the pandemic, in some ways, leaders were almost expected to be a bit more towards that ferocity, decision making, Mm -hmm. um, not quite authoritarian, but certainly uh, making decisions on behalf of their community kind of place yeah. in a fast-paced changing and then sometime but also holding that warmth of understanding where people are at and their experiences. But the other thing I'm thinking of is the cover of your book. So I've had the, the privilege of choosing some covers for books that I've written or edited and there's always a lot of thinking that goes into that but your book cover looks a bit like a beautiful explosion <laughs> and I'm wondering if you could just talk for a second about uh, what was the, your thinking around that visual as being representative of your ferocious warmth concept. Well, it's, it is it is this explosion because I, I, I do think, you know, uh, that leadership is really messy so we can't put it into boxes and so for me, again, the infinity was around can we ever just hold still around what we know or what we do or our responses? No, you know, there, there's there's just as much, in fact, there's more art in leadership than there is science. And so when I was looking for a cover of a book and I worked with my beautiful friend and colleague, Kieran Flanagan, who's an amazing creative, to find the right cover. And it's an explosion, but it's almost the shape of a heart. But it's got all these different crevices to it. It's got all these different uh, colours that come out. And it's deliberately two shades, more of a a darker colour and then the lighter pink as well. And that's because I think the head and the heart can often be seen as more masculine and and more feminine type of traits, uh, attributes. But they've got to be something that we can all access. And so I don't think one particular gender has, you know, purview over them. Yet I think in some schools what we have is we have one person says, I don't do that stuff. So, you know, I've heard many leaders say to me, I make sure in my leadership team I have a people person. Okay, and I bet the people that you lead would prefer that you also were building your leadership skills in helping to understand how to lead people more. And so how can we, let's not outsource, you know, let's actually be building those skills. So... The, when I when the the exploding heart sort of came in, there was there was a strength to it that I think we need for being really courageous, but there was also a softness to it that seemed to come together really well. So that was a long winded answer. I'm sorry, and I love it. Because I've never been asked that before, Deb, so that I, I love that you've asked that. Well, I was thinking there must be something to it. So there's a there's sort of a messiness there, but there's those bringing those two tensions together of, you know, the hardness and the yeah. softness, uh, the ferocity and the warmth, but that it's it's potentially a messy space to be a leader and one in which we need to respond. 
But the other thing that you're talking about now that I've heard you talk about and read you talk about before is there's like a no excuses kind of thing for leaders. Like you talk about authenticity, but authenticity, that's not just this is who I am, take it or leave it. That's that's my authentic yeah. self, but also that whether you might lean towards ferocity or lean towards warmth, lean towards being more organized and more problem solving or lean towards being more empathetic and listening and about the relationships, that it's there's no excuse for not leaning into the other or not being really aware of when your people might need something else from you than what is your default position, Absolutely. I suppose. Yeah. And I think, you know, first up acknowledging and understanding what our strengths are is really important. And I think this is such a beautiful activity to do with the leadership team, you know, to um, have a look at head and heart strengths and go, well, what are mine? What are, uh, you know, and I worked with a, a principal network a little while ago and got them all to go off in their teams. And some of them chose them for each other first about what they see, what they experience of the strengths of that person. It was just a beautiful thing for them to do. And then others said, actually, it was really useful for us to say, these are the strengths I think I bring and what's the, your experience of that? We need to have a balance in our leadership teams for sure, but I think we also need to look at what are our strengths and where are there other strengths that are going to help me get the outcomes I'm after. So I've had many leaders, especially ones who go more towards the warmth and research shows, you know, some of the research ISV did with Monash Uni during the pandemic shows that, you know, as a cohort, educational leaders really felt, a majority of them felt they moved very much to the relationship side to help people through after we had to do that crisis management stuff at the, the start. But I have many, many people leading schools saying to me now, and now I know what I need to do is I need to be upping the challenge again now so that we're getting back on track with what we're trying to do. So I think that we do, we, we, we do need to go, yeah, what, what is it I need to be more strategic, to have a little bit more accountability maybe? Do I need to lift my expectations a little bit of people? Am I sort of nestling us in a, a, this land of nice where actually what we need to do is all pull together and pull up now and stand up? Or have I, do I get so focused on what we're going to do and the outcomes that I forget to stop and I forget to listen and I forget to say, maybe I'm wrong and, and be able to build a skill from the other side? So. That's why expansive is the first. Expansive is the first element, and it's the expansive is all about being the lead learner, which isn't just about leading other people learning. It's about deeply understanding who we are as learners as well. So, what do we need to learn to really build that balanced leadership? So that real piece of self awareness, so that you can do the big either strategic or relational stuff. And again, talking about that need to move back and forth and to really read the room and read your organisation, read your people about where are we at? Have we got change fatigue or have we gone too hard or are we at a point where we've gotten to a comfortable place and we need to be challenged? Uh, what's right for us right now? So that real knowledge of self but also knowledge yeah. of context as well as bringing it back to the student and to the purpose of the sort of big core shared purpose of the yeah, organisation. And, and making time to have those conversations with the people we lead as well. You know, I, I've just been talking with a leader who when we had some good conversations with the team, there was change fatigue going on and everyone's got change fatigue, you know, but and pandemic, pandemic yeah, fatigue and all the other fatigues, yeah. workload fatigue, um, life fatigue. Uh, so, and the leader was thinking that as a leadership team, they were being pretty strategic about we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But what they were doing was just filling everyone's plate with all the stuff and not making the links for people to say, okay, actually what we're focusing on, we're just focusing deeply on the strategy of, you know, literacy, perhaps stuff around literacy right now. These are all the components of it. And 
let's make sure that we're not spreading ourselves too thin by going to here, 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 here and things that are just out of range at the moment. So we are boundary riders, aren't we, around that sort of thing. And sometimes we can be strategic, but actually what we're doing is we're just adding to the action list and people are not, they're, they're overwrought by that. So we need to clear some of that away and really leverage where is the stuff that really matters. And that's the ferocity stuff coming in there. But you're also pulling from the emotional intelligence of having awareness of others and listening deeply to how others are seeing the world at the moment. I'm reminded of, I heard you in a uh, webinar that you were part of reference the quote from Viktor Frankl that between the stimulus and response there is a space and in that space is our power to choose our response and in our response lies our growth and our freedom and obviously you're all about growth but what do you think about the importance of that idea of space both for leaders to find space for themselves to do the thinking rather than just the doing and do the being but also for not putting things on people's plates without making space for the important work and belonging and connectedness and collaboration and all of that. So can you talk a little bit about that idea of space, how we find it, why it's important? I, I just think it's so critical. We get so busy with the busy stuff that we forget that when we don't connect and really talk about the important things, the busy stuff gets harder and harder and harder because we don't have those connections. We don't have that deep understanding of each other. So I interviewed a lot of ferocious warmth leaders writing the book and over the last 15 years and key to the people that were able to be most self-reflective and have self-awareness was they made sure that they did not lose that time for self-reflection. And that's why in the book I've got quite a lot of reflection pauses and there's a lot of leadership teams that have been working at it together, which is pretty exciting that people are having these deeper conversations that peel the onion off, you know, so that we can really look at what's the real leadership that we want to have. And and even that time in leadership. So I will often say to just pose a provocation to leaders that says if, if we're expecting our, our teachers to come together and really pull apart their pedagogy, are we doing the same thing for our leadership? Or do we come together and we just do a lot of leadership admin stuff and we don't do the deep sitting in and reflecting on how are we leading? How am I leading? How are you leading? What what do people need more from me? What do I, they need less from me? If we're not making that time at a leadership level, then I don't think we've really got a right to expect it of the educators in the school that are in the classroom because I don't think we're modelling. And I think modelling what we're what we're talking about here is so important and going with that modeling is making sure you're allowing people to have the space and time to do it as well yep so what is the most important where can you get rid of the less important and actually allow time to people to sit and discuss and just be sometimes there's so much that comes out of just being i think I, I don't know. I, it, quite often, I know you do a lot of professional learning, Deb, but I know that uh, a lot of the times when we just sit and have these conversations with each other, people look at each other and go, this was so valuable. We so have to do this. Even just talking about the beliefs, what do we all believe about how we see literacy? What do we all believe around culture? And just sitting and, and asking curious questions of each other creates those bonds that mean that when it gets tricky, that trust, that psychological safety is there to be able to deal with it much better. And I'm remembering and reflecting as you're talking about the last 18 months, you know, one of the things that I do in my role is kind of organise and the strategy and and some of the actions of the professional learning for the Mm -hmm. school that I'm in. And, you know, as a leader, 
trying to navigate that continuum, I, I've thought to myself, oh, you know, it'd be great if we could do this, but maybe we shouldn't put that on teachers to have this time to do professional learning or have this after school session where we're going to do X. But then I've pushed through with some of it and said, no, I think this is really important. This is a priority for us. And I always think at the start of it, oh, I'm sure there's so many other places this group would rather be than right here. But then you get that what you call the buzz, right? By the end of it, everyone's energised and they remember why they're doing this in the first place and that they've moved beyond just the admin and the day-to-day to to the core purpose and to learning from and with one another and to having conversations about, you know, why it is that they do what they do and what they can do better and it's energising. And so I think it is a challenge to both protect, sometimes protecting the well-being of our people is not doing a lot less it's doing the right things and getting rid of that stuff that we don't need I was just reading some new research um, out of Aspen Institute around to rethinking the role of principal and you know so much of that was around how do we allow school leaders to get back to the core of that that leadership that's all about the student and all about creating the environment for students to thrive and so much of it was about how bound up we are as systems into the compliance stuff that actually is taking away from the core business and so you know how as leaders in the school can we minimize the stuff that isn't really getting the the shift the transformation we want in pedagogy in in how we work with well-being how we create environments where students are thriving and giving them the access to what they need our job really is to go let's make some hard and courageous decisions around that and I think we need to do that at a system level as well absolutely because that's where a lot of that comes from Mm, certainly the compliance things and those things that apparently need to happen we're certainly uh, being much more deliberate and generous around release time Mm. for teachers so so those things that we might have previously done out of hours we're saying well actually let's release you from classes even though that's potentially the most important thing we do in a day uh, it also allows us to prioritize that work and say this is actually really important and therefore we're going to give you that time within the school day rather than expect that it happens beyond so and look, uh, absolutely, and I and I really do think from a system perspective as well. If we look at say government systems, that um, the you know the 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 inequity that then happens in a small school where you've got a school leader who's in the classroom all the time and still having to do the same amount of compliance, of learning, of all the things expected, and quite often without the resourcing. Now, I think a lot of systems getting a lot better at that, but it, it all adds up to then less equity for the students in the classroom, I think. So how do, how do we create conversations around that as a system is, is, you know, we've been talking about that for a long time and I know there's a really big um, shift for us to get really serious about how do we action that and we just need that buy-in and that's, you know, that let's get let go of political agendas and let's get into what's really going to make a difference uh, for our the, the kids um, first up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And looking after the teachers means looking you after betcha. the students. You betcha. One of the things in your book that struck me is kind of near the end. It's where you talk about the ripples mm. of leadership. And I think it was because it reminded me of a couple of things. It reminded me of the flywheel effect, Jim Collins' yeah. good to great flywheel effect of that, you know, incremental change actually leading to a really mm. big momentum. And also something from Bob Gunson and Bruce Wellman's book, The Adaptive School. One of the principles they talk about is tiny events create major disturbances, that idea of the sort of butterfly effect. And I think that's something I've noticed just in my practice over the years is that sometimes changing something seemingly small or almost invisible or certainly not something you'd put on the annual report can have these, you know, fairly significant ripple effects across an organisation. Can you think of any examples of schools or leaders where you've seen 
a small change that's resulted in quite a yeah. big ripple? Um, a school that I worked with a few years ago, um, really great, insightful leader came into the school and straight away she could feel, again, it was a feeling, not necessarily a thinking, but it was a feeling. She could feel um, a, um, an aloofness, a disconnection. And the way she could see it was that people would come in in the morning, they wouldn't even say hello to each other. And so her, her plan for the first year was to create a welcoming culture because what she noticed was the students were feeling it as well and the parents were also receiving it as well. And this leader knew that she needed and wanted to make some transformation. It was already a well-oiled school, but she wanted to make some transformations around things. And she knew that to do that, she had to connect people to each other because she wanted to learn people to learn from each other. And that's a key element of our collaborative, you know, learning cultures, isn't it? That we believe we can learn from each other. And she, you know, thought if, if we're not even getting people talking to each other or saying hello or seeing each other as humans, how are we actually going to get them to be vulnerable with each other about what's working and what's not working in their classroom? So she simply talked to people modelled absolutely and talked with the leadership team. The leadership team really got on board with actually greeting people, saying thank you specifically for something as they were walking past in the corridor, sitting down and spending time with people, calling people by name, you know, even that is incredibly empowering. And uh, the culture really shifted and it started to be far more open and there was a lot of expectation of time given. Um, and so she started. she started a... A reading group and she didn't want to say you must come to it but all she said is look I'm going to be here this time uh, I'm reading this chapter out of this book here it is uh, if anyone wants to come and have a conversation a professional conversation about come along and a few people at first and then it ended up being that it was an event that happened and people loved it they have loved the professional discourse so it was a combination of awareness of modelling the behaviour, but also talking openly about the behaviour that actually creates change and creates learning as well. Fantastic. And, you know, you told a story there and I notice in your work you often tell these stories, often the voices of others and, and stories as illustrative of particular points. Obviously storytelling is a really important part of how you communicate what you think is important. Do you think there's a role for school leaders in as I've heard some principals talk about themselves as the chief storyteller of the organisation, do you think there's a role for school leaders in that storytelling aspect of their school? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I put it under the connected part of Ferocious Warmth, so the connected element. The stories help us to connect our emotions to what's going on in the story. And so it's the one of the quickest ways for our neural pathways to gain understanding is to talk in stories. So... I, I often get people to do um, a strategy compass when we're thinking about doing an initiative and what I get them to do is talk about what's the big why. But then we talk about, okay, so from the heart, what's the story that really shares that and brings that to life? And then for the head, what's the evidence base that we know about that? So that we, we're pulling both from the cognitive, the evidence base, the, the research, and we're also pulling from the story. But a lot of the times in our leadership, all we need is the story because people then connect to what's happening in their classroom with a particular student or when did that happen in the past that they've seen um, and great stories from our own lives that can help illustrate a point. You know, our brain does a transderivational search and goes blah, 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 and goes to find something that, that um, connects us 
to it. So it's it's really very powerful. And it's also creates an environment where people see us as vulnerable, especially when we're sharing a personal story about ourselves and then linking linking it to something that might be going on in the school. There's there's a humility that goes with that, I think, when uh, we're sharing stories of our own learning, our own stuff-ups, our own missteps, what we learnt from them or even what we're still learning from them that we could all do more of, I think. Thank you. Well, we're coming towards the end of our time together, so I'm going to move us to the enlightening round, our final five questions, the first of which is what is something unexpected that people might not know about you? When I was still teaching, I I did a year or 18 months actually, in what was called the Teacher Release to Industry Program, TRIP program, that um, the Victorian system had. And I got to go out with 50 other leaders and you had to apply for your job and go through an interview process. And I got to work in the automotive industry for 18 months. So I worked at the Australian Training Board when they were putting together um, training packages. It was way back in the day before we had competency standards and all that sort of stuff. And it was just fascinating because I really learnt um, so much from all the people that they were in different areas. You know, there was some at Ford, there was some at the um, Australian Bureau of Statistics, people in all sorts of industries. And then our role was to take our learnings and our leadership back into the schools. But from those people, I really became so aware that educators have so many skills that we actually underplay uh, that, that really helped our community and really help our civil um, our society to be able to function and you know I really went you know there's so much for other sectors to learn from what we do really well in education and that's still a little bit of a, a, a absolutely a thing that I push across different sectors that's for sure is you know there's so much we do that helps create environments of learning and safety and transformation if we tap into it even more. So your takeaway from working in the industry was actually about the value of what happens in education. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get some really interesting feedback on this podcast actually from people who are in totally different industries who listen to it because they can see the transferability of the sorts of things that we're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do ferocious warmth and the collaboration stuff elsewhere. Certainly ferocious warmth people go straight away. Interestingly, collaborative cultures take longer for them to step into because we've got the really strong evidence base around collective efficacy uh, really helping in terms of outcomes. For some places, the deep collaboration, the deep looking at how we work together is still unfolding for them in terms of understanding how important it is. So my next question, what is something currently on your desk? I, I have, I'm just grabbing it to show you on the camera even though people can't see it. Um, I have this little sangoma and... It is a beautiful uh, African spiritual healer and teacher. When I first started my business, I got given this by a very special friend. And I used to take it, probably sounds a bit naff, but I used when I used to go uh, and do my first workshops when I first started back in 2005, I would take it with me and I would pop it on the desk just to, it was like a talisman that says you can do this, you can do this, and, and to tap into the wisdom of all the people that had ever given me wisdom over the years of which there's always been so many but it was sort of like a connecting my heart to a bit of strength for me so and it's she sits she sits on my desk wonderful that's lovely and what about someone that inspires you in your work i'm just incredibly lucky to be absolutely surrounded by the most amazing people who level me up they elevate my thinking they provoke my thinking 
get to go out and see leaders that implement this on on the way. But some of the people that I interviewed for the book, so Sarah Martin from Stonefields over in Auckland, she's one of my faves. She's just, she's also started, she's got Stonefields Learning Collaborative and they put on leadership and collaborative um, learning culture workshops for people in New Zealand. And she's just such a brilliant leader to see in action, but also to talk to and unpack. She's beautiful at unpacking her thinking. And so she would be right up there as one of my inspirations, that's for sure. What about one thing that you have coming up that you're excited about? Well, it was almost what else is on my my desk because I've got my passport on my desk because I'm next week I'm off to Singapore and uh, speaking at a conference at the Australian International School in Singapore, Future Makers Conference, and I'm really excited about that because A, I haven't been overseas for a long time, but B, I've always wanted to get over to Singapore and just work with the people working over there because it's such a fascinating education model and what they've done around transformation just interests me no end. When were you last overseas? I was last overseas 20, April 2019. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I really enjoy that. That'll be wonderful. Yeah, thanks. Probably for most people it was 2019 if they're overseas goers. Yes. Oh, for me it was January 2020. Snuck oh, one wow. in just before the pandemic <laughs> was announced. Nice work. <laughs> nice work. And if you were to distill your current thinking about education to its essence, what is one thought or resource that you would leave listeners with? I suppose it's a a saying that I've got in the front of ferocious warmth, which would be that the world needs more ferocity to lead transformation and more warmth to connect and inspire people and that it needs us. It needs us all to step into that space um, so that we can do that. And I think there's lots of resources to help people do it, but it's having the courage to step forward and say, yep, now is the time for us really to bring this into being. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Tracy, so much for joining me today on the Edu Salon. Thank you, Deb. And if I can just throw in at the end, I just have always so in just love. Your writing is just so exquisite, but so is your articulation of everything. But I just love reading your blog and the way you articulate your thinking, but also the research uh, is just something that I think we all gain so much from and your books as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Edu Salon podcast. You can join the conversation by subscribing to this podcast and sharing it with your network, by giving this podcast a rating or review, and by connecting with Deb and her guests on social media.